Four Feet Report NBA podcast. I am your host, as always, Eric Spiropoulos, and you can follow me on Twitter at Eric Spiros. You can follow our website slash podcast on Twitter at the 94 Feet Report. Again, a reminder, our website launched on July 1st. We're recording this at around 10 p.m. Eastern time on July 3rd, but on July 1st, we launched our website. Check it out, 94feetreport.com. We've got tons of articles. We've got articles on almost all the free agency signings, along with some original uh, content articles. We've got other podcasts on our network. Um, our team's been working really hard the past couple of days to bring you some really great and unique NBA content. So check out our website, 94feetreport.com, and you can get all the updates for our website and podcast um whether through my Twitter, at Eric Spiros, or through the site's Twitter, at the 94 Feet Report. Um, on t- today's episode, our Fresh 15, episode 3, in which we do a 15-minute uh, recap of the day in free agency, even though today was relatively uneventful, um, we are going to talk with Alex West, who's the host of the N1 podcast on the 94 Feet Report podcast network. I went on the N1 podcast a couple of weeks ago, so now we're bringing Alex on to talk about the July 3rd um, day in free agency, and we're going to recap some of the signings and then project the next day moving forward. So in just a bit, I'll get Alex on the show, and we'll have our third installment of the Fresh 15 NBA free agency recaps. All right, we are now joined by Alex West, host of the N1 podcast, also on the 94 Feet Report podcast network. Alex, how are you doing today? Good, Eric. How are you, sir? Doing pretty well. I've had some time to relax and calm down today. I mean, it's been significantly slower on the free agency front than it was on the first and second. Um, You haven't slept in, like, 48 hours at this point. Like, you finally got to sleep today, but, like, July 1 and July 2 were just you nonstop. Uh, yeah, that's pretty pretty accurate uh, summary of what July 1st and July 2nd were. Um, but you know what? It, I enjoyed it. That's all I can say. It was eventful and entertaining. Um, so there were really only two signings today. We had Kevin Durant, who signed a two-year $56 million, $53 million contract. And then we had Darren Collison going to the Pacers for two years and $20 million, which isn't really that significant. The KD one is kind of significant, but... I decided we really don't need to talk about it because the the story is that he's taking a lot less money basically to keep the Warriors intact for the next couple of years or at least this year. Um, And on the other hand, he also does help the owners who are billionaires save money. But, you know, it's it's KD kind of being a really good teammate. His teammates like Iguodala and Livingston who just signed contracts this year obviously appreciate it, but there's not really much to talk about there. So I figure we spend more time continuing our discussion. We talked about it yesterday about Paul Millsap and I think one of the best signings and one of my favorite signings of free agency going to the Denver Nuggets, especially the fact that I had not learned about this while recording last night, but after I finished recording, I found out that the Nuggets actually got a team option for the third year somehow. So it's really a two-year deal for Millsap, um, and I think it's just a, a home run you know, signing. He fits perfectly with Nikola Jokic. I just want to get your thoughts on Millsap going to the Nuggets. So that was one of those things for me that when I saw it, I had to stop and look again just to be sure that that was what indeed what I saw. Because one of the big issues that we came into today and yesterday and today was the market was sort of drying up for the older guys, for Lowry, for Millsap, guys who had hit you know a little bit past their peak in early 30s. And to see them get a team option is one of those just brilliant, tiny little moves throughout the year that shows that a team is being well run. Uh, that they are invested in Millsap. They had a hole in the power forward. They had a lot of guys who played the power forward position last year, uh, but they had a hole there, and they were kind of looking to fill that. Uh, that they, you know, Gary Harris, they got a young core that's playing pretty well, Nikola Jokic, uh, but they had a hole at the four, and to fill it with 
Millsap and to fill it in such an efficient way to grab that third-year team option uh, is brilliant because that's also simultaneously the year that they're going to have to extend Harris and I want to say Murray in the same year. Uh, so now they have Jokic, flexibility actually, going forward. I think it might be Jokic who has who, if is they. It, is it Jokic? I know Gary. I, I know for a fact Gary Harris is extended in that year, but it might. Yeah, I, I know that one of their other big pieces, and that's just fantastic, tiny little things that sort of get lost in the into the swirling miasma of free agency. But br- very brilliant move on the part of the Nuggets. Yeah, what an excellent move, and you know it came out today that Millsap revealed that the Hawks didn't even offer him a contract. Um, so you know, and the Timberwolves dropped out once they signed Taj Gibson. So it remains to be seen, kind of exactly who else was on like, bidding for Millsap. Obviously, you have to assume that the Rockets were trying to get a sign and trade, but that was unlikely because they simply don't have you know positive enough positive assets to make that right now. Um, so it might have just left Denver as almost the sole team in terms of teams that were. You know, quasi playoff contenders. Obviously, teams were that are rebuilding have a lot of cap space. Could assign Millsap, but he wanted to limit it to teams that could, you know, potentially make the playoffs. Um, it could have left Denver open uh, as like the last team in their in the bidding war for Millsap, which kind of helped the Nuggets get that team option. Listen, he still gets his 30 million per year for at least the next two years, and depending on how well he ages, could get it for three years. And on the court, he's a perfect fit next to Jokic. So. Um, this puts the Nuggets in an interesting situation. They've got a lot of young guys. They obviously are now going to compete now with getting Paul Millsap for 32. But they, they are rumored to want to shed some salaries like Kenneth Fareed um, in order to sign George Hill. Now, that we don't know if that could happen, but this signing of Millsap does push Gallinari out the door. So I kind of want to get your thoughts on where Gallinari could go or where do you think he should go and maybe what possible moves the Nuggets can make next. So Gallinari is a guy that I like a lot. I don't love him but I like him a lot mm-hmm. because he is kind of a three stretch four can play five. He doesn't, he's not a tremendously present defender, which I don't love, but I feel like there's a lot of place for Danilo Gallinari. And, but the one thing that I always come back to with a guy like, like Gallinari is, is this a guy who can play in game seven of the NBA finals that we just watched? Is it a guy who you want on the court? It, with, you know, all with the Warriors, with the Cavaliers, and I just don't think Gallinari's that guy. I, I definitely think he catches on well. I think he plays well in the modern NBA, but I don't think that there's going to be a tremendous amount of interest from very, very top tier teams just because of his defensive capabilities are somewhat limited. Uh, I see a strong market. I mean, I obviously saw the Clippers today uh, looking into it, and I feel like that's the area, you know, in those teams that are sort of in the middle who are going to be satisfied in that. 46 to 50 win range uh, in, in a pretty brutal Western Conference. Uh, I, I feel like that's maybe an area where he's going to catch on is is in one of those middle teams. Yeah, and with Gallinari and his kind of free agent market, which teams will be after him, it kind of depends on what salary he's looking for. Um, obviously, he has a big injury risk. He gets injured almost every year for at least 15 games. Um, but, he, you know, he's a positive player on the offensive end of the floor, a negative on the defensive end of the floor. Again, like you mentioned, probably a player you really can't play against the Warriors. Um, but for these teams that are not really thinking about competing with the Warriors, we're talking about the, sec- the second tier, you know, of playoff teams, you know, seeds six through eight, and then obviously teams that are going to miss the playoffs, they'll be fine signing Gallinari for a reasonable contract. Um, and his market could dry up pretty quickly. Um, and his market also could depend on a player – a nice transition here. Gordon Hayward, um, probably by far the most marquee player still on the market. He has taken all of his meetings. He met with Miami on Saturday, um, Boston on Sunday, and he met with the Jazz today. Um, 
and now it's just we're waiting for his decision. We don't know if it's going to come on July 4th like Kevin Durant did uh, last year. He dropped a bombshell. Um, it could come tomorrow. It could come later in the week. I don't know how long Hayward wants to take. It seems like a really tough decision for him. Um, where do you think Hayward should go um, and why? All right, let me put this out here. Just first and foremost, I am a huge Celtics fan. So that's on the table. Now everybody knows it. But here's what I'm going to say, though. Gordon Hayward's best probable position, his landing spot, is, I think, in Utah. So Gordon Hayward is not a tremendously efficient. I just looked this up. I just looked at it because I wanted to be sure before I said this. Gordon Hayward's not a tremendously efficient catch-and-shoot player. He's a guy who likes to operate with the ball in his hands. He's about a 38% shooter when he's in catch-and-shoot situations. He's up to about a 42% shooter on the dribble. And so here's a guy who likes to run a lot of the offense. He likes to initiate a lot. And, and he's a guy who handles the ball a lot. And what you have in Miami, uh, not quite as much, but most definitely in Boston, is you have a primary ball handler. You have Gordon Dragic in Miami, but in Boston you have Isaiah Thomas, who is an all-star, who's probably one of the five best players in the Eastern Conference now uh, <laughs> with the departures of George and Butler. Uh, but you have a guy who initiates a lot of the offense. And so from a basketball fit, I feel like the way that Gordon Hayward likes to play and wants to play, having a guy like Rudy Gobert behind you to – shore up your defense altogether just to protect the rim uh, is tremendous. And then on top of that, he's a guy who wants to be the initiator. And and even with a guy like George Hill, who's a pretty good catch-and-shoot point guard, uh, and maybe with Rubio, that's a little bit more interesting a fit. I think George Hill was a pretty perfect fit for Gordon Hayward. Yeah. Uh, Rubio a little bit different. But I still feel like Utah is the best basketball fit for Hayward right now. Now, that being said, he needs to sign with Celtics. I mean, come on. Let's get that out there. <laughs> I mean, realistically speaking, if he wants the best shot at making the NBA Finals and or winning the championship, Boston is the place to go. I mean, you look at the Jazz now. We're about to talk about this in a minute. The Western Conference is just an absolute bloodbath. If he goes to Miami, they're just not at the Celtics level even with them. Uh, and he goes to Boston, and, you know, they don't have to give him any assets for him. He's a free agent. Um and they've got all these young players, so it'll be good for the next couple of years. They obviously got Isaiah Thomas and also Al Horford is still a very good player. So, you know, if he goes to Boston, they're definitely slated to be that number two seed. And, you know, the Celtics were comfortably defeated in, in the Eastern Conference Finals. They did win a game. You put Hayward on that team. I think it's just a more a better chance to win. I mean, do you agree with that? Oh, yeah, most definitely. That's sort of the opposite side of the coin of I think Utah's a great basketball fit. Uh, but I think that Boston is probably the fit you want if you're looking to excel as a player in terms of like playing late in the year. And not necessarily because Boston is this tremendous team, but with the departures of Butler and George, we've seen a significant diminishment in the talent in the Eastern Conference. And teams like Indiana and Chicago, who were holding that you know eight and seven spot last year, have fallen off. And there's a there's a very real chance that a 38-win team can limp into the playoffs in the Eastern Conference. I don't think that's crazy because you have teams like Detroit and Philadelphia and teams that weren't good last year for one reason or the other who can get into the playoffs. And if you're Gordon Hayward, you're starting to look at, well, would I rather play Denver in a first-round series or would I rather play Detroit? And, and I think those kind of questions start to become easier, that the Eastern Conference is just – it's an easier path and Boston gives you the tools and you have a lot of quality players and Horford and Thomas and then Tatum and Brown and a lot of young guys that give you a, a nice core to play with. Now, that being said, obviously it's going to limit what he does in terms of basketball and just his touches and things. But the, you know, that that's the question he kind of has to struggle with right now. 
Yeah, and before we move on to our Western, our final topic of this quick epi- Fresh 15 episode, I just got a notification on my phone saying Gordon Hayward will decide tomorrow. So brace, your, yep. brace yourselves, people. Um, quickly, we're almost running out of time for this episode of the Fresh 15. Um, I want to move to the Western Conference. We just talked about the Jazz, and you know their position obviously next year depends on if he stays or if he, or if he leaves. If he leaves, I think they still can be a competitive team that makes a playoff. Uh, if he stays, they could... You know, I would certainly comfortably pick them to be a top five seed. But we've seen, I'm going to throw out four teams in the West that have had, you know, off seasons that a lot of people are raving about. The Rockets, the Thunder, the Timberwolves, and the Nuggets. I just want to get your quick opinion. Which of those four teams do you think have has the best off season and why? So interestingly, I made a list before we got on here uh, of the f- teams that had ostensibly gotten better uh, this offseason, and that was the same four that I came to. I came to the same conclusion as you. Uh, I have to say right offhand to answer your question, I think the answer is Minnesota. Minnesota had a pretty quality core. I feel like they've got some really nice pieces in place coming back from last season with Carl Anthony Towns, and I know that a lot of people are down on Wiggins, but Wiggins is a talented player who has, if who hasn't developed at the rate in which we wanted him to when he came out of Kansas, but has still shown flashes of being a tremendous player. Uh, and adding Jimmy Butler to that, I'm not so in love with the Jeff Teague signing because he just sort of creates weird spacing issues that I feel like other guards could have helped solve in a better way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I feel like Minnesota is the team that has improved the most. Probably second behind that. It's, it gets so tight behind yeah. that because I really like what Houston's done. Um, I know people, you know, are, are kind of worried about the Chris Paul fit, but I feel like having two elite level ball handlers and two guys who can get buckets because getting buckets is always one of the important things in playoff games is really great. But I also feel like Denver's just, just Denver's out doing it incrementally, which is one of the things that I love. Yeah, and then of course OKC getting Paul George. So I mean, you, you got these duos, duos, excuse me. You got CP3 and Harden in Houston, Paul George and Westbrook in OKC, and then obviously you've got. You can consider it, I guess, a big three in Minnesota, and Denver is kind of a, a duo now in their front court. Um, all right, Alex, well, it was great to have you on this third episode of the Fresh 15 uh, on the 94 Feet Report NBA podcast. Why don't you throw out where people can find uh, both your podcast and your work and on uh, social media? You can find us. The podcast is on the 94 Feet Report. It's under the podcast tab. It's the And One podcast. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at And One Analytics. And I'm always writing. I'm always doing something for the 94 Feet Report. So that's where you can find a lot of my stuff. All right, everyone, make sure to follow Alex and check out his podcast, the And One podcast. And everyone, check out uh, all of our great content at the 94 Feet Report. You can follow me on Twitter at Eric Spiros or follow the site on Twitter at the 94 Feet Report. Take care.